Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be 3rd Nephi chapter 21. So we're in the middle of a discourse that Jesus is giving on day two among the Nephites. Uh, it's not my fault that these lessons tend to be long, but it's because Jesus is talking a lot about what's going on and what's going to happen in the last days. So it's about us too, isn't it? Now, just a point of trivia here. Verses 1 through 7 of this chapter is a long run-on sentence. There's no period until you get to the end of 7. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Okay. Verse 1, And verily I say unto you, I give unto you a sign that ye may know the time when these things shall be about to take place. So he's going to give us an idea here when this gathering is going to happen. That I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. And behold, this is the thing which I will give unto you for a sign. For verily I say unto you that when these things, meaning the Book of Mormon, which I declare unto you, and which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, which shall be given unto you of the Father, shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, and concerning this my people, who shall be scattered by them. So notice that this is, a, he's telling that the Book of Mormon, when it comes forth, then people will know that the gathering has already started. Verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them unto you, through the instrumentality of Joseph Smith, the Gentiles of the last days, those of Israelite descent who live in the nations of the Gentiles, shall learn of the lives and labors and ministries of the Nephite and Jaredite civilizations. Then the Gentiles meaning Ephraim among a Gentile nation, the Latter-day Saints shall take the Book of Mormon and the message of the restoration to the natural branches of Israel, the Lamanites and the Jews. Verse 4, For it is wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father. America was born of God. She, became, she came to be because of divine intervention of the Almighty, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. Marky Peterson said, The hand of oppression had to be removed from America. The people who lived here must be set up as a free people. It was done by an act of the Father. But a human agent was required, as in all other things. Washington was an agent of heaven in bringing about his work. He realized it and knew that God was fighting his battles for him. So in humility and gratitude, he thanked heavenly, heaven repeatedly for it. Why was America set up as a free nation? Uh, as, the, as the Lord said, that these things, meaning the gospel, will come to a remnant of the seed of Lehi. Thus we see Washington, in his true perspective, as a man of God, was raised up to be the agent through whom the battles of freedom would be fought and whom God would assist in obtaining the victory. Brigham Young said, There is not another nation under heaven but this, in whose midst the Book of Mormon could have been brought forth. The Lord has been operating for centuries to prepare the way for the coming forth of the contents of that book from the bowels of the earth. It was the Lord who directed the discovery of this land to the nations of the old world and its settlement and the war for independence and the final victory of the colonies and the unprecedented prosperity of the American nation up to the calling of Joseph the prophet. The Lord has dictated and directed the whole of this for the bringing forth and establishing of his kingdom in the last days. 
verse 5. Therefore, <clears throat> when these when these works and the works which shall be brought shall be wrought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity. For thus it behooveth the Father that it shall come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles for this cause, that the Gentiles, if they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me and be baptized in my name and know of the true points of my doctrine, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. And when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know these things, it shall be a sign unto them, that they may know that the work of the Father hath already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant which he hath made unto the people who are of the house of Israel. The message of these seven verses is simple but direct and vital. The coming forth of the Book of Mormon signals the beginning of the Father's work, the work of the gathering of Israel in the last days. In this sense, the Book of Mormon is itself one of the signs of the times. The Savior here teaches that when the time comes that the Book of Mormon is brought to the remnants of Israel, such as the Lamanites, then they, the Lamanites, will know that the prophesied gathering is already underway. Verse 8, And when that day shall come, it shall come to pass that kings shall shut their mouths, for that which they had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Elder McConkie said, The great and mighty shall be so amazed at the Lord's latter-day work that they shall not know what to say, and shall feel impelled to consider the wondrous work which rolls before their eyes. So far there has been a small amount of this. What the future holds is limitless. The work of the restoration is in reality great and marvelous. It is, to those who take the time to view it properly and ponder its significance, breathtaking. The great ones of the earth shall yet rise up and acknowledge Joseph Smith and Mormonism as a preeminent blessing to the world. A number of prominent persons over the years have made such acknowledgment. Josiah Quincy, a man who became the mayor of Boston, visited Joseph Smith in Nauvoo. He later wrote, it is by no means improbable that some future textbook for the use of generations yet unborn will contain a question something like this. What historical American of the 19th century has exerted the most powerful influence upon the destinies of his countrymen? And it is by no means impossible that the answer to that inter interrogatory may be thus written, Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet. And the reply absurd, as it doubtless seems to most men now living, may be an obvious commonplace to their descendants. It is reported that Count Leo Tolstoy, in speaking of the Mormons, said, Their principles teach the people not only of heaven and its attendant glories, but how to live so that their social and economic relations with each other are placed on a sound basis. If the people follow the teachings of this church, nothing can stop their progress. It will be limitless. There have been great movements started in the past, but they have died or been modified before they reached maturity. If Mormonism is able to endure unmodified until it reaches the third and fourth generation, it is destined to become the greatest power the world has ever known. And so we're living in that. We're past the third and fourth generations, aren't we? Verse 9. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work which shall be great, shall be a great and a marvelous work among them, and there, sh and there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. President Benson said, Seven centuries before the birth of Christ, Isaiah foresaw and foretold the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in these latter days. He declared it would be a marvelous work and a wonder to all mankind. When Jesus appeared to the Nephites in America, he confirmed the prophecy of Isaiah in April 6, 1830, in the state of New York, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had its beginnings, and this dispensation, a beginning 
In this dispensation, a beginning that went largely unnoticed by the world, a small number of men and women, including the Prophet Joseph Smith, gathered in the home of Peter Whitmer, Sr., to witness and participate in the official organization of the church. Today, uh, there's over 16 million members of the church. When I wrote this back in the day, or when President Benson said this, it was back, there was only four and a half million members. Who now look, we now look in retrospect on 150 years of the history of the church and are led to exclaim with Isaiah, truly the work is marvelous and wonderful, that the church of Jesus Christ would have an inconspicuous beginning and then enjoy phenomenal growth was likewise predicted. Jesus used the comparison of the small mustard seed to describe the early beginning of his church, but eventually he declared that insignificant seed would become a great tree and many would find refuge in its branches. Prophet Daniel described the beginning and remarkable growth of the church as a small stone which would become a great mountain and fill the entire earth. As men have attempted to assess the church at a given period of time, in many instances they have not been able to see its forward movement and potential. The growth of the church, like the growth of, of grass or trees, has been almost imperceptible to the eye. But little by little, line by line, precept by precept, the church has matured. Simultaneously with the early development of the, of the church has a, spiritual, has a spirit of opposition and persecution. Wherever the tiny mustard seed was planted, attempts were made to frustrate its growth, but notwithstanding all the efforts to, de to destroy the work, even the murder of the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother, the church prospered and grew. There were those who thought the church would fail with the deaths of the martyrs Joseph and Hiram, but they did not perceive, as Daniel foretold, that this latter-day kingdom should never be destroyed. Just before the prophet's death, Brigham Young said the kingdom is organized, and although as yet no bigger than a grain of mustard seed, the little plant is, is in a flourishing condition. Verse 10, But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. The Lord maintained a special watch care over his great latter-day seer, Joseph Smith. The prayers of the ancients were in his behalf. Therefore they shall not hurt him, though, although he shall be marred. Uh, the, last, the lost 116 manuscript pages, and his life was taken. Because of them, yet will I heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Elder Maxwell said, Because living prophets are so precious a presence on the, on the human scene, adversarial efforts to diminish and to mar them, past and present, should not be surprising. These men are thus called upon to endure efforts to mar them, the word mar, as used in certain scriptures, suggests to spoil to a certain extent or to render less attractive as if one were to mar furniture by scratching its surface but not harming its substance. Isaiah speaks of the Lord's servant whose visage or appearance is marred. The resurrected Jesus speaks of a great marvelous work which will not be believed by many, although a man shall declare it unto them. This latter-day servant who, who was to bring Christ's word forth shall be marred, yet I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Doctrine and Covenants section 10 uses those same last words about the wisdom of the Lord proving greater than the cunning of the devil in reference to Joseph Smith and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith Sr. gave a father's blessing to the prophet Joseph on December 9th of 1834. In part of that blessing, Father Smith quoted from ancient Joseph, who wondered how his latter-day posterity would receive the word of God. Then ancient Joseph's eyes beheld Joseph Smith Jr. to be raised up in the last days. Ancient Joseph's soul was satisfied and he wept. Ancient Joseph was quoted by Father Smith as saying that the choice seer to arise shall meditate great wisdom and his intelligence shall circumscribe and comprehend the deep things of God, though the wicked mar him for a little season. Church members should not be surprised, therefore, if enemies seek to mar prophets and the presidents of the church or the church itself by seeming to render it 
or us as members less attractive and, inf and influential, thus causing some to turn away from or to discount the Lord's work and his servants. One of the early twelve, Orson Hyde, observed that the shafts intended for the church are always aimed at the head first. If we as members are likewise marred while doing the Lord's work, it will prove to be yet another dimension of, of sharing the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Verse 11, Therefore it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles, it shall be done even as Moses said, they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the, who are of the covenant. President Benson said, The Lord revealed to the prophet Nephi that he established the Gentiles on this land to be a free people forever, that if they were a righteous nation and overcame the wickedness and secret abominations which would arise in their midst, they would inherit the land forever. But on the other hand, if the Gentiles on this land reject the word of God and conspire to overthrow liberty and the Constitution, when their doom is, then their doom is fixed, and they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. Verse 12, And my people who are a remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, yea, in the midst of them, as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Their hands shall be lifted up upon their adversaries, and all their enemies shall be cut off. Yea, woe be unto the Gentiles, except they repent, for it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Father, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. In other words, the weapons of war will be destroyed. And I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds, and I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy land, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images will I also cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the works of thy hands. Idolatry will be done away at that time. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities, and it shall come to pass that thy lyings and deceivings and envyings and strifes and priestcrafts and whoredoms shall be done away. For it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that at that day whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved Son, them will I cut off from among my people, O house of Israel. And I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among the, this the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. Much confusion ensues among some Latter-day Saints because of a narrow reading of certain passages in the Book of Mormon. The phrase remnant of Jacob is not confined wholly to the descendants of Lehi, nor should we limit the Lord or the prophetic word to that interpretation. The remnant of Jacob refers to all the house of Israel. And that was by Millet McConkie. In the last chapter, I gave a more extended um, explanation of that particular passage. Verse 23, And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, and also as many of the house of Israel as shall come, that they may build a city which shall be called the New Jerusalem. Joseph Ealing Smith said, I think this is the stumbling block. This has been interpreted to mean that the remnant of Jacob are those of the descendants of Lehi, but there is nothing in the passage as I read it which should convey this thought. Remember that all through the Lord has been speaking of the remnant of Jacob or Israel and of the, of the great promises made to the Gentiles who are in this land and in all other lands, if they will only come into the church and be numbered with the house of Israel. Their privileges would be to assist in building the new Jerusalem, and if they refuse, then shall the punishments come upon them. I take it we, the members of the church, most of us of the tribe of Ephraim, are of the remnant of Jacob. 
We know it to be the fact that the Lord called upon the descendants of Ephraim to commence this work in the earth in these last days. We know further that he has said that he set Ephraim, according to the promises of his birthright, at the head. Ephraim receives the richer blessings, these blessings being those of presidency or direction. The keys are with Ephraim. It is Ephraim who is to be endowed with power to bless and give to the other tribes, including the Lamanites, their blessings. All the other tribes of Jacob, including the Lamanites, are to be crowned with the glory in Zion by the hands of Ephraim. Now do the scriptures teach that Ephraim, after doing all this, is to abdicate or relinquish his place and give it to the Lamanites and then receive orders from that from this branch of the remnant of Jacob and the building of the New Jerusalem? This certainly is inconsistent with the whole plan and with all that the Lord has revealed in the Doctrine and Covenants in relation to the establishment of Zion and the building of the New Jerusalem. That the remnant of Joseph, found among the descendants of Lehi, will have part in that in this great work is certainly consistent and the great work of the of this restoration the building of the temple and the city of zion or new jerusalem will fall to the lot of the descendants of joseph but it is ephraim who will stand at the head and direct the work james e talmage said the book of mormon foretells the establishment of zion on the western continent but the precise location was not revealed until after the restoration of the priesthood in the in the present dispensation in 1831, the Lord commanded the elders of his church in this wise, Go ye forth into the western countries, call upon the inhabitants to repent, and inasmuch as they do repent, build up churches unto me, and with one heart and with one mind gather up your riches, that ye may purchase an inheritance which shall hereafter be appointed unto you. And it shall be called the New Jerusalem, a land of peace, a city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God. And the glory of the Lord shall be shall be there, and the terror of the Lord shall also be there, insomuch that the wicked will not come unto it, and it shall be called Zion. Later revelations directed the elders of the church to assemble in western Missouri, and designated that place as the land appointed and consecrated for the gathering of the saints. Wherefore, this is the land of promise, and the place of the city place for the city of Zion. The town of Independence was named as the center place, and the site for the temple was designated, the saints being counseled to purchase land there, that they may obtain it for an everlasting inheritance. On August 3, 1831, the temple site thus named was dedicated by the prophet Joseph Smith and his associates in the priesthood. The region round about was also dedicated that it might be a gathering place for the people of God. Such then is the belief of the Latter-day Saints, such are the teachings of the church. But the plan of building up Zion has not yet been consummated. The saints were not permitted to enter into immediate possession of the land which was promised them as an everlasting inheritance. Even as years elapsed between the time of the Lord's promise to Israel of old that Canaan should be their inheritance, and the time of their entering into possession thereof, years devoted to the people's toilsome and sorrowful preparation for the fulfillment. So in these latter days, the divine purpose is held in abeyance, while the people are being sanctified for the great gift and for the responsibilities associated with it. In the meantime, the honest in heart are gathering to the valleys of the Rocky Mountains. And here, in the tops of the mountains, exalted above the hills, temples have been erected, and all nations are flowing unto this region, but Zion shall yet be established on the chosen site. She shall not be moved out of her place, and the pure in heart shall return with songs of everlasting joy to build up the waste places of Zion. Zion is to be chastened, but only for a little season. Then will come the time of her redemption. That time will be appointed of God, yet it is to be determined according to the faithfulness of the people. Wickedness causes the Lord to tarry, for saith he, therefore in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. And again, Zion shall be redeemed in mine 
own due time, but the Lord's time in, is, in giving blessings is dependent upon the prospective recipients. As long ago as 1834 came the word of the Lord unto the church. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people, speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. President Kimball said, speaking to the Lamanites, you must blossom as the rose upon the mountain. You must flourish and you must become a great people so that you can go back to Jackson County with us and we with you. And we will build there the magnificent temple, which Orson Pratt said will be the most beautiful building that ever was built or that ever will be built. It will be the culmination of everything that is beautiful and wonderful and within its walls will be the sealing power and the indians are going to assist with the temple that is why these indian people who have accepted the gospel must remain true no matter what comes they must remain true and faithful they must go to the temple and get their endowments and their sealings they must be leaders in their communities because not too far away there is going to be a great migration to jackson county Missouri, and there are going to build, and there we are going to build the great temple, <clears throat> and that is only part of it. We will then go forward with you, Indian people, by the thousands and the tens of thousands, to work night and day in the holy temple of God to see that your ancestors, all those that died from Christ up to now, all those who were killed at the Hill Camorra, all those who were killed in between for hundreds and hundreds of years, all have the work done for them, so they so that they may receive the exaltation and eternal life of man. What works you have to do, you good folk, uh, you must never falter. You must continue in growing, on growing to your total stature and bringing your people with you because the Lord's promises never fail. Verse 24, and then shall they assist my people that they may be gathered in who are scattered upon all the face of the land in unto the new Jerusalem. Elder McConkie said the revealed word relative to the gathering to independence and its environs will come through the prophet of God on earth. That call will not be for the saints in general to assemble there. The return to Jackson County will be by delegates, as it were. Those whose services are needed there will assemble as appointed. The rest of Israel will remain in the appointed places. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and, and I also will be in the midst. This is during the millennium. And then shall the work of the Father commence at that day, even when this gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people. Verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people. We are currently in a gathering phase, but the gathering that will take place during the millennium, according to Joseph Fielding Smith, will occur within one generation. It will be exceedingly fast and massive throughout the world. The tribe of Joseph has been gathering since 1830. We have been gathering the gatherers. Continuing verse 26, Yea, even the tribes which have been lost, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. This is a millennial setting. It is a setting in which wickedness and crime and vengeance are no longer on earth. Yes, the work of the Father shall commence in the great millennial day in the sense that it, its magnitude shall be infinitely greater than anything we can even identify with today. All that has gone on in the past will seem to pale in, in insignificance when missionary work goes forward during the thousand years. Jehovah spake through Jeremiah, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I, give unto their, that I gave unto their fathers. And then the master described the manner in which missionaries would search out the people. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Elder McConkie said, but says one, are the lost tribes of Israel not in a body somewhere in the land of the north? Answer, they are not. 
I used this quote, I think, in a previous uh, podcast, but it, it bears uh, repeating here. They are scattered in all nations. The north countries of their habitation are all the countries north of their Palestinian home, north of Assyria, from whence they escaped. Question, what happened to the ten tribes after the visit of the Savior to them? Answer, the same thing that happened to the Nephites. There was righteousness for a season, and then there was apostasy and wickedness. And this day, when the head of the church can communicate with all men on earth, there is no longer any need for one kingdom in Jerusalem, and another in Bountiful, and others in whatever place or places the ten tribes were when Jesus visited them. This is the promised day when there will be one God, one shepherd, one prophet, one gospel, one church, and one kingdom for all the earth. This is the day when one man shall direct all of the Lord's work in all the earth, the day when he shall bring all Israel into one fold. Verse 27, Yea, the work shall commence among all the dispersed of my people, with the Father to prepare the way, whereby they may come unto me, that they may call on the Father in my name. Yea, and then shall the work commence with the Father among all nations in preparing the way, whereby his people may be gathered home to the land of their inheritance. Here is the summation of it all. Men and women gather first to Christ the Lord, accept his gospel, call upon the Father in his name, partake of the sanctifying powers of his atoning blood, and in process of time become perfect in him. Second, those who gather to Christ also gather to where the people of Christ congregate, to the lands of their inheritance. For some, it is the United States. For millions, it will be in such diverse places of gathering as Korea, Brazil, Germany, New Zealand, or 10,000 like places. For the time being, Latter-day Saints are asked to remain where they are, in those nations where they hold citizenship. In this manner, the tent of Zion is expanded and strengthened as more and more stakes are driven into the earth. The revealed word relative to the gathering to independence and its environs will come through the prophet of God on earth when it does come with the consequent return of the saints to that Zion, which shall not be moved out of its place, that call will not be for the saints in general to assemble there. The return to Jackson County will be by delegates, as it were, those whose services are needed. There will, there will assemble as appointed. The rest of Israel will remain in their appointed places. Verse 29, And they shall go out from all nations, and they shall not go out in haste, during a time of peace and organized leadership. Nor go by flight, for I will go before them, saith the Father, and I will be their rearward. We have seen earlier through a modern revelation that the setting for the great work of the gathering, particularly of the lost ten tribes, is millennial. Elder McConkie wrote, We do not say that occasional blood descendants of Reuben or Naphtali or others of the other tribal heads shall not return to their Palestinian Zion or assemble in an American Zion or find their way into the stakes of Zion in all nations, all before the second coming of Christ. Some shall no doubt return to Canaan as true believers and members of the true church with the intent and purpose of fulfilling the scriptures and building up the ancient cities of Israel. This may well happen in some small measure, and to it there can be no objection. Great movements have small beginnings, and floods that sweep forth from bursting dams are first forecast when small rivulets trickle from the pent-up reservoirs. But we do say that the great day of the return of the ten tribes, the day when the assembling hosts shall fulfill the prophetic promises, shall come after our Lord's return. And that was by Elder Bruce McConkie. Uh, so it sounds like the, the coming forth of the ten tribes, according to him anyway, will be after the Savior returns. And that's as they return to their Palestinian home. I bear testimony that these things are true and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.